Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Getting your ideas across clearly is a critical skill in any career. However, speaking to an audience is one of the greatest fears that people have. And that is why in this episode we will discuss exactly that. How do you communicate and convey your ideas clearly and effectively? And my guest is an expert communicator who has trained leaders and politicians around the world to communicate clearly and effectively. Barry McLaughlin is the president of TLC Transform Leaders Consultants, Inc., a leadership communications firm in Ottawa, Canada, with over three decades of experience as a leadership trainer, communications consultant, and educational program designer. Barry is a former television writer, producer, and broadcaster, and is recognized as one of North America's leading communications consultants and seminar leaders, creating and delivering over 5,000 seminars for governments, associations, and corporations around the world. He is regularly profiled and interviewed on television and radio. Barry received a master's in public administration from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University, and he is also a fellow in the Ridley Graduate Program in Political Management at Carleton University, where he is a frequent lecturer in strategic communications, political management, and the media. Thank you so much, Barry, for joining me on the podcast. Well, it's my pleasure, King. I'm looking forward to this. Before we talk about all the different ways and all the great tips that you give in your book about how to communicate clearly and how to really get your ideas across in so many different settings, because not just presentations and meetings in one-on-ones, every aspect of life, you need to be able to get your ideas across clearly. And your book beautifully illustrates that and gives wonderful suggestions. You have an extensive 30 years of experience in this business. So what has surprised you over this time? I mean, you've learned a lot, I'm sure, but what, what surprised you? Well, I guess what surprises me is that we used to joke about this years ago in the business that, uh, you know, people have to unfortunately keep doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, lessons learned, whether it's in managing an issue, whether it's in communicating a message. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting how many people in effect are saying, well, those rules don't apply to me, you know. Um, and and I, I say that with some tongue in cheek because, of course, everybody wants to do better. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, I, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong fan of lessons learned. You know, yes. I'll say to my kids, if something goes wrong, I'll say, okay, now, this is not a blame session, but what lessons can we learn out of this? Because if you learn no lessons, we'll be back here talking about this, you know, in a week. So lessons learned is an important thematic for me. And I think I've always been somebody who has been fascinated analyzing what works in communications and what doesn't. You know, there is no one model, and I think that's maybe a starting point. There's no one model. So to your question, you know, what surprises you? I guess that doesn't surprise me other than, uh, you know, people are always in a process of learning. And if you're in a process of learning, you'll do a lot better. You know, I've had the odd uh, political candidate, the odd senior executive come in. And I, I, actually, one of those political candidates, a very successful one over time, 
wrote an autobiography. You know, she, she was recounting the first session she had with me. And she said, oh, a light went on when Barry said, when we're watching this video of you in this debate, where are you? And I said, what do you mean? And Barry said, well, are you in the studio? Are you just debating your other opponent, trying to persuade your opponent? Or are you in the living rooms of, of people having a conversation with them at the end of the sofa? Where, where are you? She, and then she said, I have to admit, you know, I, I'm in the studio debating, you know, arguing with this opponent. Uh, so that was an interesting area. And I think the other one was the denial. I don't I remember when in the autobiography, the first half of that conversation wasn't, of course, mentioned, which was spent mostly going, I don't think I need this. Mm. You know, people say I'm pretty good in, uh, as a communicator. I'm great on television. I've had lots of experience. I don't really my my staff says and I remember looking right at this person and saying, you know, you're a very busy person. And frankly, I'm fairly busy myself. So believe me, if there's not a problem, I'm not a solution. Right. Okay. Long agonizing pause. <laughs> well, I guess I guess there's something I could learn. <laughs> right. So I of course I of course had the recording you know queued up to like the worst moment of the previous debate. I said, well, let's start there. You know, <laughs> but to me, self awareness is really critical. A lot of people are surprisingly not self aware, mm -hmm. and I think if you're not self aware, how do you improve your communications? Yes, absolutely. You just you just the, the bull in the china shop, you know. You, you know, you don't really know because uh you have no self-awareness. How is this coming across? Is my tone of voice suddenly shifting here? Um, am I just blathering on talking about anything and everything except the point? No self-awareness. Wow. So one of our our key techniques in communications training, of course, is recording the video recording of what they're doing. And making them look back at it. So this particular person I'm alluding to, when she saw the video of herself, her jaw dropped to the floor. She said, I didn't realize it was that bad, but I wasn't going to tell her she was bad. She needed to go, well, bad. I mean, that's the wrong word, but you know, boy, I need work. Thank you. The moment you have that, you've got somebody who's 70% of the way down towards, towards really improving their communications. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, no matter how good you are, there's always room for improvement, isn't there? Yeah. But yeah, so self-awareness is is very important. Yeah. And also you can be interpreted one way by one type of audience and a very different way in a different type of audience. So even having yeah. that self-awareness um, and so finding true. out that's interesting. Very good. So what did you what have you found are some of the most common struggles that people have? I mean, of course, there's many different things, but is there yeah. something that jumps out at you? Well, I think being comfortable in front of an audience, being comfortable in front of a camera, uh, I think that they come at it with generally the wrong approach. You know, yes, we know there's a performance element to this, but I believe you should start with what you're good at, and or at least at comfortable with. Most people are comfortable being in a conversation, like you and I right now are having a conversation. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not going to turn this into a performance in which I'm, you know, trying to impress you and all. No, I'm just going to engage you in a conversation. And I'm hopeful out of that, something useful will emerge. Right. But if I can't, if, and so you start, I always think somebody once said it's like a laboratory. A conversation is a laboratory. It's all in there. Mm -hmm. Your body language, your tone of voice, your engagement, your listening skills. Let's start there. And whether you have an audience in front of you or not, shouldn't remarkably change your conversational qualities, which mm -hmm. is really what people 
appreciate out of a communicator. Right. That's a very interesting thing to think about. And also what you mentioned is that it's not just about what you say, but so much of it is about your body language and being aware of that, which I'm sure you do a lot of work on as well, don't you? Right. Yeah. I mean, there was a study at UCLA that said that when people see you in person and are asked, what's the source of the believable message? Like I heard this person say this, but what was the source of the message that I ended up believing? 55% of it was the nonverbals, the body language, the facial expression, the eye contact. That was 55% of the lead message. 38% was the tone of voice, the tone. Is this a lecture? Is this a kind of a self-important, I'm just the, you know, the brightest thing in the world? Or is it maybe obsequious? Maybe it's looking for approval. And uh, that's 38% of it. And only 7% is the verbal, what you actually say. So the whole package really has to come together. Absolutely. I love what you just said, the source of the believable message. That is something to really keep in mind, to, to think about it. And sometimes it's so unintentional because being nervous can really speed up your speech. And that in itself gives a completely different tone than what you're intending to. You're right. That's really this. You've touched now on the second thing, which is probably the most common area people feeling very nervous. They're very, they're very nervous. The larger the audience, the more nervous they are. And, uh, you know, there have been studies that say, you know, it's the, it's the most feared thing of all in life is public speaking. Mm. I think it was Seinfeld who said, do you mean people fear that more than death? <laughs> you mean somebody's right. giving the eulogy? Somebody's giving the eulogy at a funeral, and they're looking at the casket, saying, "Gee, I just wish I was in there rather than up here." You know, so the fear of it is—I think a lot of it is their perception of what it is. They they perceive it to be something that is going to absolutely psych them up. Like I listen to people before they go on. You know, they'll they'll say things like, "Oh my God, there's a lot riding on this." This is a big speech. My boss is in the audience. I got some key customers. They're kind of looking at me. I, I'm, I'm worried if I don't make this work, uh, I'm in big trouble. Say, what did they just do? They psyched themselves completely out. Who could get up and be a top performance with that kind of a, in, a the, the script, the, the personal script inside your brain? So I'm very big on a positive scripting. And I often give this little kind of mantra and I'll say, just say this to yourself. I'm going to have an interesting conversation about a fascinating subject. That's mine. I'm going to have an interesting dialogue, interesting conversation about a fascinating subject. Now, break that down. Interesting conversation implies two-way. I, I talk about this. I talk about, in my case, communications all the time. So why is this any different? Well, what's different about, of course, is I'm the only one speaking. But you, that doesn't mean you should change the way you communicate. Speak as if you're in a dialogue, in a conversation, even if you're the only one speaking, which is a very interesting little step to take. Like sometimes I'll help people by saying, like, pepper your presentation with questions. Now, why do I say that? See right there. I just posed a question and now I'm going to answer it. It keeps me in a dialogue mode, not a monologue. A lot of people think it's a monologue. So I think that's a really important thing, um, that it's a conversation. You know what? Pretty good at a conversation. You know, think of it as something you do pretty well. And not. It, I always say in a conversation, you don't say, what do I do with my hands in this conversation? Uh, during this conversation, what about my tone of voice? No, you just engage it. 
Yes. So I think that's really a critical psyching up, not psyching out approach. I like that. I really like that to say that to yourself, have that mantra and really think deeply about it to say that you are having a fascinating conversation and it's a conversation. But even when you're doing a presentation or you are presenting an idea maybe to, to one other person, but to think about it as a conversation, I, it does change the dynamics. I can completely see that. So that's yeah, a- and the, the phrase, the phrase at the end about a fascinating subject. Now, there you go. There's mm-hmm. energy. Yes. There is a sense. We, we always say, feel your words. Don't right. just say your words. A lot of people say their words. So it's kind of flattened. They'll go along. This is an important subject. There are three criteria for success. Like the plane never lifts off the runway that way. You know what I mean? That's right. So it's like, feel those words, get the feelings behind the words. Absolutely. So I think those are the components right in a, in a, almost a, in that mantra That's right. of success in communicating. Think about the value and the interesting aspects of what you're going to say, not about how you're going to be seen and how you're going to be perceived. You know, Fantastic. You know, we've seen, we've seen so many rough rough versions of speeches and presentations over the years. But one of the things you hear people say, I swear they'll say this. Now, I I know data analysis is a pretty boring subject. (laughs) But today, like they already pretty well tell you, okay, (laughs) all right, move on. You know, they'll say an audience decides in the first four minutes of a speech, whether or not it's worth it, whether or not it's for them or applies to them, whether they could care about it. And out of those four minutes, guess which minute is the most powerful of those four minutes. It's the first minute. And most people just kick that one right out the door. Well, I know it's a very boring subject, so I'll just get through this. I'll, I'll talk. I'll make all these slides. And if, you know, interrupt me if you want to ask any questions. Oh, boy. Okay, so they pretty well told you, A, I've put very little work into this. B, it's not really an engagement. And C, I know it's boring, so let's just get through it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I swear, people are already like, they've already pretty well, you know, close. Set you it know, up. Dumb the, yeah, I mean, they've, they've wrecked it from the beginning. Right. It's almost apologetic and uh, yeah, yeah, administrative. Is. So what? how do you, and, and you give a few tips in your book, but what is your favorite way for you, but also suggesting to others to start off? Well, you know, I never say it should, you should do this, but my background was in stand-up comedy. Okay. And, you know, I began as a stand-up comedian and, you know, yuck, yucks, uh, roll can, air farce. Uh, you know, and a television comedy series called Shh, It's the News on global TV. So my background is comedy. So for me, and I'm not saying everybody should do this, I like to try to find a humorous icebreaker very early on. In fact, most politicians want to know, I need to break the ice because there's ice in the room until they start laughing, responding. And if you can get them early laughing and responding, then you've got them. And like a lot of comedians, they work hard. Like I've been, you know, backstage with Howie Mandel and quite a lot of comedians. And, you know, all of them have their own little routine, but they're all figuring out that first minute. They're all figuring it out because they have to hit the mark early. They know it. You wait too long, they start throwing things at you. You know, (laughs) I'll say, like public speaking, public speaking is easy. Comedy is hard. So, uh, you know, when, when, I, when I went from that into other kinds of television and teaching and so on uh, in communications, uh, I, I never forgot that, that, you know, the, the point about comedy is that you're connecting with an audience. You're, you're getting on their wavelength. They're getting on your wavelength. There's a lot involved in that. And there's distillation. You could take 
one hour, but it's got to get distilled down to a dynamite 12 minute act. How do you, a 12 minute set, how do you do that? Um, and it's distillation, it's really getting rid of clutter. It's, you know, a narrative that kind of flows. Uh, I've just been talking actually, the first time in many years, a comedian in the Ottawa area, he was referred to me and, you know, we've had a few conversations, great guy, and I went to see him uh, at a comedy uh, place. And, you know, I, uh, I, I liked what he did. I gave him some hints. It's funny, I said, okay, I'm not here as, you know, a, a stand-up comic. I had done it, you know, decades ago. But there are certain things about it to always keep in mind. You know, we talked about that first minute, you know, uh, or we also say, you know, like, what is that narrative arc? It, it can't just stay on the same thing. It has to move. It has to connect the dots to another thing and keep that moving forward. It's just like in a, in a speech or presentation, you still have to connect the dots. It has to be coherent. There has to be a narrative that makes sense. Because I've actually attended speeches. There was one of my uh, university um, reunion, and a major Washington figure. I mean, Mr. Washington is the keynote speaker on the Friday night of the reunion. He laid such an egg, like it was like people were so disappointed in him. And you know, when you asked around, of course, I also felt disappointed. But the the consensus was, oh, he we get he's from Washington. We get he's powerful. We get he knows things, but what was his message? He didn't have a message. So often we, we will early on in any coaching say, can you just tell me what's the message you want to leave with this audience? Why should they know? Like, there's the big word, why? Why should they know this? Um, like Simon Sinek has done the YouTube, uh, a very famous one on the, the power of why. You know, why is a persuasive area? Why should people buy this product? Why should they vote for me? Uh, why is more important than what? Here's what I stand for. Mm -hmm, yeah, it's all about you. But why? And, uh, you know, I think that's part of the messaging. What is your core message? And why should this audience even care about it? Uh, and I can tell you, there's a lot of work that goes into we We do entire seminars just on can we sort out what your messages are? Like, I swear, we had the night before their appearance at a major parliamentary committee, a very large Fortune 500 corporation came in, top, top execs. And they had a government relations advisor and everything else. So before we launched into the training, I said, look, um, what is your message before this parliamentary committee? Well, we have a team working on that. And I said, well, this is the night before. So like, we either know it now or we don't. Right. So. <laughs> What is the message? Well, guess what? They didn't have one. Wow. So we had to, they talked about the subject. Oh, your head would explode about a detail, but there was no real message. So we had to begin with, can we just strip this all away? What's your message? Why should people care about this? What are you asking for? Why do you think and that's hard for people? Why, why is that well, difficult? Well, they had a $15,000 a year government relations advisory team and they had a communications team. You'd, you'd think they'd figure that out by now. It's the night before their parliamentary committee appearance. Yes. So I can tell you that's not an uncommon thing where it's all vague. And by the way, I would say I'd love, a, I'd love a, a consulting job in which the client didn't even really expect from me the core output. You know, well, to be fair, they're still working on it. I'm going, <laughs> would I ever love a client 
that had such low expectations of what <laughs> I could right. deliver for them. You know, so yes. you know, it, it is interesting that that uh, knowing what your message is, you would think, Kenga, you would think, well, that's just blatantly obvious. Well, I'm telling you, it you know the distilled message, mm-hmm. and you tell me in one or two sentences what your message is. Yes, and I'm telling you, oh, they'll eventually get to it. You know, if you go long enough and distill from it. Maybe, but that's already have lost your audience, right? It's, so. it's absolutely true. And it does seem like a simple step, but it does very easily gets forgotten. So that's a very, very right good reminder. You share a lot of tips in, in your book, which is getting your ideas across. I absolutely love the book. As, as I said before you. to you, it really does highlight so many and beautifully lays it out, lays it out beautifully so that it's truly a handbook where you can flip to the and point, you know, point to the answers. And also it has a lot of tips from the very beginner, someone who's very, uh, very nervous about communicating to someone who's an expert. There's still things that you find that I thought, oh, I actually didn't think of that. That's really wonderful. So I wanted to go through a few key tips that you have. And so you said that there's five stages to preparing a presentation. And of course, you said that your book is really, it's not just about presentations, it's about communicating. It's about getting your message across, be it one-on-one or in a small group, whatever that might be. So the five stages you've outlined is plan, prepare, design visuals, flesh it out, and rehearse. So can we, can we have one, one or two tips for each of those phases that, that you think people should really keep in mind? Let's start maybe with the planning. And of course, purpose is one of them. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, planning is everything. I mean, if you're invited to speak, you better understand why they want you to speak. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you can be a solution to which they don't think they have a problem. Whoops. Uh, you know, you mm-hmm. have to get on board with whoever invited you to speak. That's right. You know, what's the purpose? What's the goal? Who's the audience? What do they need to know? Why do they need to know this? Uh, what are they expected to do as a result of this speech presentation, et cetera? Um, those are, it's called, you know, gathering information analyzing your audience. Uh, what is the preconceived audience attitude towards either your subject or even you? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it positive, negative, neutral, unknowing, uncaring? You know, where is this audience on the landscape? I'd like to know that. Uh, what are some possible concerns because of that audience attitude? And so, you know, a lot of them, it boils down to, if you don't know your audience, you're not really ready to communicate. So that's part of that. I think the other thing is establishing goals. What do you want the audience to know, think, feel and be able to do as a result of your presentation this presentation not the broad subject but out of this 15 minute or whatever it is uh, what do you want them to walk away knowing about the subject its context its significance what do you want them to think about that topic your message your your own organization or your credibility what do you want them to feel that's the emotional side of the brain very Mm -hmm. powerful do you want them to be enthusiastic do you want them to be you know uh you want them to feel uh, that that this really does, uh, it, it's a core part of their uh, need, uh, of what they need to know. Uh, if they think it's, a, they feel it's irrelevant, then forget it. What do you want them to be able to do? What tangible actions do you want them to be able to take? So, you know, we developed this tool and it's in the book called the Persuasion Ladder, the Communicate with Power Persuasion Ladder. And if the audience starts at the bottom with information, which I've been referring to. But they have to understand it in context. Too much info, too much data, their brain's going to explode. Uh, That should lead to a knowledge level. So they want to get up that rung of the ladder where they now know these three key things. That's important 
because I now want them to accept some core premises, some core principles, some core concepts. Once they accept those concepts, those principles, you're now moving towards a, a, an agreement in general. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna. I think that's really good for our company. I think that's something we could apply. I get how that's done. Okay, good. They're now accepting that in principle, and then you know, uh, and then it moves to agreement. It moves to commitment. They now commit to do it, and of course, action. So you have to ask yourself, where is the audience on that persuasion ladder now, and what rung can I move them up to at the end of my presentation or speech? If you move them up one, two, or three rungs, that's great. You don't have to get them all the way up. That's a big mistake people make. They try to do everything and fall flat. You're better off to make, a, make an achievable goal up that persuasion ladder. So those are just some of the elements of plan. Hmm, that's, a good, that's a good point. I like that, that you need to not try to do everything and try to get them to the top of, of what you think no. the ultimate is, but to get them a little bit. So in, in that respect, you mean trying to understand not the whole subject, trying to understand right. a key element of it. Is that what how a key you mean? element? Yeah. And, and get buy in on a limited number of things. Don't mm -hmm. go too big, too wide, because right. you, you probably fail every, every step of it. The second major step that you've already mentioned is prepare. So once you know your goal, you know your audience, uh, and, and you, you, you really have a knowledge base, then you have to structure and organize it. See, an unorganized presentation of speech is a nightmare. It's not yes. gonna persuade anybody of anything. So we always say, you know, it's the three main, main segments, introduction, the body, and the conclusion or summary. Introduction, this is a big error people make. They spend way too long introducing, get to it. Introduction should really basically, it's the appetizer, the old tell them what you're going to tell them. Mm -hmm. So this is where you're setting out, what am I here to talk about? Why is it important? Uh, and here's how I'm going to go about it. So maybe a brief glimpse at it. It's about 10% of the presentation time. So let's say, I don't know, I'll make this up, but let's say it's a 20 minute major presentation. Two minutes is the introduction, 10% of the time. And the body is 80% of it all. This is the main course. If the, if the intro was tell them what you're going to tell them, the body is tell them. So, and I like to organize that body so that it's just not, not a morass of things, but rather it, it is going to have maybe, I like the power of three. Maybe there's three key components to that body. Uh, and the what, like, what is it you're talking about? Why is it important or why is it significant? And the third part might be what needs to be done, action. And then you can break it out from there. That's your structure, right? You know, I always like to have a theme that ties it together. It was Sir Winston Churchill said many years ago that a, a, a speech is like a stew. He said, there's many little bits in it, but the theme is what holds it together. What I like holds that. all of this together? You know, an aspirational theme. And a theme is something that lifts everyone, that lifts the audience, that makes us see beyond the immediate into a powerful vision. And so I think that's important. Of course, each, you know, each of these, the theme, what flows from the theme then are the core messages. Again, I go back to three powerful core messages. Yes. And if you, and, you know, maybe you might intro the first segment uh, of the body, you know, with the message, tell us these story narrative information, and then conclude that segment with the message. So it kind of hammers in there. Uh, then you get to, you know, designing visuals. Well, again, I think, this, we're all PowerPointed to death. Oh, by the conclusion, I should have mentioned. The conclusion is the last final 10%. Tell them what you told them. 
So you're summarizing the key points and maybe you leave them with a little bit of an aspirational hook, something forward, a quote, something that lifts it all. Um, and sometimes in my case, I'll go for a humorous quote because I want them already reacting uh, at the end. Um, so I think that that's the structure of it and the core elements of it are really, really important. Now, I'm not a visual artist myself. And I think we are kind of PowerPointed to death today. So it's entirely possible, of course, to do speeches without uh, PowerPoints, without visuals. I think we overdo it. And we all plead guilty to this, especially the bullet pointing ones and everything else. And, and I remember one time, this, this was really a life-changing experience. I go to Philadelphia to do a major speech presentation on risk communications. This is decades ago. And those are the days where, you know, you bring your, your, your laptop and it's always a bit dodgy about the connection in those days to these projectors, all of them somewhat different. Anyway, for whatever reason, that connection would not, you know, make that, that presentation get up on a screen and the audience is now filing in. So I had to talk to myself and here's what I said to myself. Are they coming here to watch my PowerPoint or are they coming here to listen to me? Are they actually even aware that I have a PowerPoint? Why am I fixating on this PowerPoint? So, of course, I'd spent up, you know, most of the night before getting this ready. <clears throat> so I went off to the business office. I printed it out and I had that just as a safety thing on the podium. And it worked. Why did it work? Because I, I, I freed myself from the discipline and rigor of a very you know, tightly done PowerPoint. Mm. And I engaged them more informally than I otherwise would have done. And I learned a lesson. It ain't about your PowerPoint. No, no, it absolutely. And the visuals really do need to be, I mean, it's just a nightmare when you see people put practically their whole text on a PowerPoint. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but at the same time, how do you decide on the visual? Like I always try to decide thinking, do I need a PowerPoint that just has one image, maybe for each of the yeah. things that I'm discussing that kind of evokes a feeling or a sense for what I'm trying to say? Or is it key points, key words, maybe something that I want people to really remember, really drive it home? How do you decide what kind of visual is right for yeah, you? That's, it's, it's not an easy question to answer. I think if you are, you're, you're speaking words and if you have just wordy text, if, here's some more words. If you haven't yes. had enough for me, here's some more in the street. Exactly. Like, the problem with, with words up there is they're reading that. They, the moment you put it up there, they can't help so. And they can read like three times faster than you can speak. So as, they're, as you're speaking and thinking they're paying attention to you, they're racing, their eye is racing down that slide. They're at the bottom when you're still in the top third. So you've just competed with yourself for attention of the audience. So to me, it should be a visual. Uh, and it, the same thing can't, like I think one minute is a good limit. If that slide stays on longer than a minute, boy, it's getting awful stale. And I think you need to move it. Uh, so if I had a 12 minute, uh, I will say, you know, what's your best 12, 12 slides? If I have a 12 minute speech, I'm going to put 12 slides up there. And I think that's a big difference. A lot of people turn a speech into a, a workshop presentation, wrong place for it. If we want to know how the watch is made, give us the website link. That's not why we're here. Uh, so I think that it's a mistake to overload them with a bunch of information. It's not what this speech is. So I think limiting it and making it as visual as possible, uh, but not so flashy. Like I remember going to one, it was the most powerfully flashy one of its kind. It was a chief financial officer type. And uh, boy, 
you know, it was so distracting, movable this and shift it over to that and move it around. We lost sight of even the speaker at that point. Hmm. So I think you can compete negatively with yourself with too much busyness up there. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Those are, those are great tips. So we looked at the planning, extremely important, preparing, designing the visuals, and now fleshing it out. So what do you, what do you mean by that? What should we be doing? Well, I guess what it means is uh, make sure that you've got a transition from one section to the other. So a transition line Mm -hmm. that connects this segment of the body to the next segment, to the next segment. Uh, Otherwise people are confused. You're putting a whole stuff in there, but we we don't see the linking narrative. That's one aspect of it. Uh, Fleshing it out just means what am I, I, I get that message, but how am I building the case for that message? You know, I need to have some supporting points. Very often, what's the illustrative storyline? Like, what's a 30-second slice-of-life story that brings that message to life? That's part of fleshing out. You know, what's the real-world analogy, example, illustration that tells that story? People today think of a speaker as a storyteller. And some of the best ones tell stories. And there's stories that move you, make you laugh, make you think. If I was the scriptwriter for a CEO of a major corporation, which um, and I've done my share of those, you know, they you have to really get to know that CEO. So, yeah, what's important is what what were the moments in their life, their events that took place as they grew up, as they you know were in moved into the corporate world that stayed with them. What was a lesson learned, and why was that so powerful for them? They really developed the narrative arc of that person. And if you can't come up with it, it's just one more, you know, guy with a PowerPoint and he's got all these bullet points. I'm sorry, that is so boring. So I think learning, uh, if you're the speechwriter and they all have speechwriters, then get to know those. Same with politicians, you're working hard. What's that moment of truth? I always think of moments of truth. Those are the powerful moments that make for great stories. And they can be uh, stories of success, stories of sheer luck, Stories of failure, by the way, failure stories, audiences love those stories because it shows the human dimension of the speaker. I've had more than my share. So uh, those are really important to gather like nuggets, you know, and you've got a card on each of those. And there's a great place to put that one in there. Um, I remember coaching the, the president of a very major retail chain in Canada, and it turned out that he and I had happened to have worked, in my case, university at Miracle Mart, which was like, uh, you know, it was a discount retailer, a very great place, by the way. Uh, and I worked there summer part-time jobs. Turns out, so did he. Oh, so that wonderful. was a great connector we had. But, That's you know, great. I said to him, I said, I notice you don't mention that in your speeches. So I, I worked with him to develop, you know, can we just sort of walk through those moments of truth you had, mm. you know? Because they provide such important connection. As in a one-on-one conversation, the same as when you're presenting to a large audience, finding that human connection, that shared experience is so important to create such warmth. Absolutely true. And it's part of building rapport with an audience. Mm -hmm. So he began to use those. I think he was shying away from it for some reason. You know, Mm -hmm. we've all had those experiences. So I think that uh, he became more three-dimensionally human. Just because you're CEO, you know, today people want you to feel their pain. They want you to not be the guy in the, you know, in the C-suite in the corner office and make an appointment to see, you know, they want to feel that you're human and get what they're going through. 
Really, really good. And in the process of fleshing it out and going through and thinking through all this, something that kind of has struck me as being important in presentations, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, is having quotable moments. And especially Mm. in this time when when everybody wants to be able to put it on Twitter or some other form of media, they want some essential quote that can be boiled down that they can quote and, and put out there. That is such a great point. What What are your suggestions around that? Is that something we well, should Well, lear- learning about? what is a good quote, you know, learning mm-hmm. what is a good soundbite. And you are so right that it used to be thought of as if there's a you know TV camera crew in the audience, they'll get that to the nightly news. Yeah, true. But actually today it's like they start to, audience members will tweet it out as it's going on. Right. Because it, it caught their ear. It has rhythm. It, it's standalone. It, it uh you can make sense of it. It only has eight words in it, but my God, it makes immediate sense to me. It has mm. impact. Uh, I think every one of those messaging opportunities you have in the speech, what's the soundbite version of that? I think that's something that more and more in the recent years uh, we do think about because it's those takeaways that will be reached far greater audience than whoever is in this room here today. That's right. So I think that's a really good point you make. And it's a great way to recapture the message and make it live on. Mm. Wonderful. So now the fifth stage, which is rehearse, rehearse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what yeah, yeah. What can you tell us about how to best rehearse? Well, you know, p- put put yourself in front of a camera and do it. Like I remember a number of years ago, I was giving a major speech at the National Arts Centre, behalf of a corporation, and they said for the speakers, they said, you can come over here, we're going to video record, and you can take it away and look at it. So I thought, oh, I'll do that, even though I teach people how to do it. Am I ever glad I did that? I watched that video and I was aghast at it. I realized it was just a rehearsal, but it was so flat. The wording was just taking way too long. I revamped that entire thing based on watching myself in that video. Uh, If I had not seen myself, I would have given, in effect, the rough draft version of it. So I think rehearsing it, if you haven't done it four times, you're not ready to deliver it. You know, don't try to memorize. I think that's the mistake people make. We teach people how to lift the words off the page and deliver them out there. It's called scoop reading. Okay. And just to give you a, a quick sidebar on scoop reading, because that's so important in a written speech, is this is actually a, a speechwriter for President Kennedy, uh, Richard Newstead, who became a great professor at the Kennedy School where I went to, and he wrote books on presidential power. Anyway, he said, you know, with Kennedy, he said, you would write the speech for him. And very often he wouldn't see that draft until he was on his way up to the podium. You'd hold it out there and he would take it from your hand and walk up. And that's the first time he was going to see that. And this was the days where teleprompters weren't really all that common. So, but Kennedy had learned how to scoop read, which is to glance down, grab five or six words, look up and deliver them out there. Most people deliver it to the page. He said with Kennedy, people always wondered, is he memorized this or what? He, he basically memorized none of it. And so he was able to scoop read it. So I teach people that scoop reading technique. And I can tell you, it will 100% improve your eye contact with the audience. It will make you feel like you own the words, not everybody do this. Watch me read this speech. Boy, that's pretty boring, don't you think? It's to lift it off that page and deliver it out there. And I think practicing in front of a mirror, practicing in front of a camera, you will see how often am I really looking at the audience? It's got to be, I like the 80-20 rule. 80% of it should be looking at the audience and a maximum of 20% down there. 
Yes, absolutely. That is just so distracting when someone is clearly reading off of their page. Yeah. Um, and and of course, you know, that, what Kennedy did is definitely takes a spe- special type of talent. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but having even key words that highlight your ideas or somehow yeah. are highlighting it, yes. I find really helpful to highlight the keywords or to just scribble big words over it right. so I can just yeah. glance at it. But I like that scoop reading. Yeah. I, if a, if a, if the speech is there for a purpose and it has to be well written, there are comic elements of it that have to be extremely well delivered. I always think because I write my own speeches, obviously, all the work goes into the writing. You know, to me, like yes. I work hard at the writing, and because I scoop read, you know, I think I've reached the point where it doesn't look like I'm reading it. I sure right. hope not. That's the fun part. The agony is the writing. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to develop that skill set because very often busy, busy C-suite executives and so on, they don't have time to you know do drafting and reading it and re- they don't have that kind of time. Mm-hmm. But if they learn the skill set of delivery, that can be enormously helpful to them. Right. And I think it's, it's it's really important to do that. Whether you're doing that in a opening notes at a meeting, like I still watch people chairing meetings and they just sit there in front of the the meeting group and they just read it out i'm going why right you know? yes so, absolutely it takes away from the message it takes away from the right message on. a lot right on really good well those are i mean there's so much more in the book but you shared fantastic tips on the five stages on how to really communicate clearly but one of the air sections in your book actually talks about spontaneous presentations and i think this is the ultimate nightmare when uh, when someone tells you oh can you just go and and talk about this for a little while and and get those right. ideas across and you yeah. gave some great tips on how to deal with spontaneous presentations so can you yeah. share a little bit of that well i always say you know pause if, if somebody throws it to you barry do you have any remarks on this whoa like suddenly <laughs> it's thrown to you and it truly is spontaneous you yes. didn't know you were going to be asked to do this a, a brief pause at the outset to collect your thoughts is always valuable you look thoughtful a lot of people skip the pause because they think they look stuck. No, like don't have your eyeballs looking up and rolling, but rather a thoughtful look down, collecting your thoughts, and then begin. Um, I like to build pauses in throughout my presentation or my spontaneous thing so that I can still continue to collect my thoughts as I go along. Uh, I think providing structure. So I like my rule of three. I still think that's an important one that and you, you know you you have to think about what's what you're asked to do. But if there are three key components, I don't want to go more than that. I've turned this into a lengthy you know diatribe. I'll do three points, but it sounds organized. It's helpful to be organized. And if you told me in, in two minutes, Barry, you're going to be speaking, I'm going to jot down those three points. I'm going to know that's the anchor of my spontaneous presentation. Another thing that I'll do is. Uh, this happened to me. I was uh, speaking at a major conference. I arrived uh, 30 minutes early, thank goodness, to do my speech. The organizer said, Barry, did somebody get a hold of you last night? I said, no. Oh, here's the thing. I know we wanted you to talk about uh, about media and communications, but here, we've had three speakers on that already. Can you talk about internal communications? <laughs> oh I said, you gosh. realize that is a very different subject. Uh, I'm really sorry, Barry, but you know, can you do it? I said, all right, you know what? I'll do it. So what did I spend my 30 minutes doing? I jotted down five or six questions so that there was an organizing structure to it. I was able to then verbalize the question 
and answer it. But if I didn't have the structure of those key questions, you know, what is what do we mean by internal communications? Why is internal communications even more important today? I only had time to think through the questions, but it was an organizing structure and it forced me into an engaging dialogue, one hopes, a dialogue, you know, a faux dialogue really with the audience in which you posed a question and you're answering it. Wonderful. So that gave me an opportunity to sound organized, but to find out 30 minutes before that's your subject, there's a certain terror street that can go through you. Yes. So you sit down and calm down and organize. Oh, that's brilliant. That is really brilliant to organize it around questions, which also forces you to say, what questions will my audience have about this? And then just right it structures it well. You really tackle a lot of different aspects of giving a good talk through thinking about it as, okay, what questions should I raise and answer through this? That's right. I, I really like that tip. And the breathing, pausing. Oh, yeah. The pausing all the way through. Absolutely. And even if you haven't had time to write down those rhetorical questions, you can still pose them during your presentation. Right. So you pose the question. So, so why is that important today? And then begin to, so it, you're not umming and eyeing and all over the map. The questions allow you to have this built-in, even if it's spontaneous, built-in organizing structure. Notice how, how often I use the word organizing. If it doesn't sound organized, it's usually all over the map and highly unimpressive. Yeah, that's a very important point. Really important point. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you've shared so many great insights and thank tips you. and points and and useful in all aspects of communication but sadly we don't have time to go through everything but no. your book goes through it in great detail so where can people find your book how can they well you've caught me at a time where we're doing e-book e versions of all these so the ones that we've gone through are getting your ideas across that you and i talked about today encountering the media which by the way we still have some uh if you go on to uh our our website uh, tlctransformleaders.com. Mm -hmm. You will see about that in encounter the media. And the other one is called Overcoming Panic and Fear, Risk and Crisis Communications. Right. So some of these are available, but also we're doing the ebook versions and look forward to those uh, getting them out as soon as possible. That's wonderful. Yes. And definitely the link is in the show notes so people can can take a look. Well, thank you so much, Barry. This is absolutely fascinating to talk to you. And I highly recommend people to, to take a look at the books and get them. You know, it's one of those books that you really do keep forever because you can always go back to and jump into a section that you need and really have well-organized tips that are very, very useful, regardless of how you. level you're at. And little cards. They yeah. also have wonderful little, little cards, cards yeah. that you can put in your, yeah. in your wallet or in your bag. Yeah. Yeah. And it's even printed in a way that is truly durable and and useful so i really really enjoy it so thank you very much well kenga thank you very much you made it a lot of fun thanks kenga thank you very bye bye, -bye.